0: Share it out, share it out. Go ahead and share it out on your page. Today, we're talking about where do we go from here? Where do we go from here? A liberated people, where do we go from here? Again, where do we go from here? A liberated people. As we last discussed, black people... Descendants of the formerly enslaved have been striving, if we really think about it, close to 500 years in this country to be free to determine our destiny, our worth, our perception of ourselves and of God without white oversight or approval. Many today feel that we have been given enough uh, even as early as the last couple of weeks, this sentiment has been shared by a uh, a comic strip artist well-known in American culture and society, causing him to face backlash and to be uh, removed and have his drawings and artwork removed from the public sphere because of this sentiment. People believe that our place in chattelism, aka capitalism, is to be a consumer and not a creator, or to be a follower and not a leader. We know now that overcoming is a continuous journey, and every generation must win it again and again and again to keep freedom fresh and to keep our chains broken. Let me say that again. Overcoming is a continuous journey, and we must win it over and over to keep our freedom fresh and to keep our chains broken. The spirit of suppression and apostasy and hatred and oppression shows up in every generation. So no one is exempt from this fight to keep evil at bay. What we do now does determine if the generation coming will be fighting for the same fight 50 to 100 years from now. And we need people as the impassioned attorney, Benjamin Crump said so eloquently last night, if you were watching his speech at the NAACP image awards, he said, we need people who are willing to fight for their children and to keep fighting and to keep fighting. So we do need people who are willing to partner with God in human history to create a free and just society. It is not just going to happen by the click of our heels and the blink of our eyes. Now I wanna talk really quickly about this idea of fighting this for generations and what our, what will our future look like? My first encounter with racism was when I was in the first grade. I had a young white friend, we went everywhere together, we held hands at school and young young white male friend of mine. And I remember going to the cafeteria and we were holding hands, and we were swinging our hands back and forth because we were just so happy to be friends. And we were doing everything together at that point. So I remember us going into the cafeteria and people staring at us, not our peers, but the adults, the teachers who were on lunch monitoring. And then I remember the very next day, my young friend came in and said, We can't hold hands anymore. He said, my dad told me that you are black and I can't like black girls and I can't marry you. That was the first time that race and gender interrupted my good friendship with another human being. First grade. So when someone asks, well, how young should we start teaching? When someone asks, are they old enough to learn about racism? For me, I didn't have a choice. And most Black children don't have a choice as to when they first encounter and learn that there's something that is demonstrably different about them that can be pinpointed and pointed to as a reason to disparage them or to dehumanize them. This was in the early eighties. And for me, it has been 40 years since that moment, around that time, 40 years of seeing, of being aware and knowing that I am being seen differently and treated differently both overtly and covertly by non-believers and sometimes believers alike. Mm. So yes, when I see patterns of complacency with people who are my age, when I see justification and compromise, Mm. I am reminded that bigotry grew up with and alongside me And it also grew up within my generation too. So we can't hold ourselves outside of this bigger picture, thinking that it does not affect us. I am thankful for the students who walked out recently, who walked out of their school to protest their history being erased during a Black History Month program. I'm also thankful for those who call out orchestrated revivals and bigots with guitars. Because we don't need, at this moment in our history, we don't need a false worship of God while ignoring current injustices. So where do we go from here? Well, Romans 13, 1 through 5 is often quoted when it comes to obeying the government and obeying those who have rule over you. But the main role of government is to promote good and to punish evil. So then that begs the question, what if your government has been the purveyor and the perpetuator of evil through policy and practice? Can you expect a complicit government to right its wrong? without the world court itself stepping in? In Matthew 5 through Matthew chapter 7, Jesus taught what many coined as the Beatitudes, or often termed as the attitudes we should be in this life. He said, blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Well, if we're inheriting the earth, then... Think about things like the land back movement, aligning with restoring lands that were stolen. He said the merciful will be shown mercy. Think about the fact that the unmerciful will be shown accountability.
1: Mm.
0: He said the peacemakers will be called the children of God. Think about the untold millions of African and indigenous people who were stripped of their peace, of their home, of their family, of their land, who endured atrocity upon atrocity. No peace was distributed in these arrangements. So we must ask ourselves, can a nation known as the military war power of the world, claim the title chosen nation as well? The United States is not Israel, no matter how many conspiracy theorists try to make it so. When people think of racism, they think of individual acts, or they think it's simply a feeling, feeling yourself to be more superior than someone else. But racism, as God defined it for me, he said racism is prejudice plus power plus policy to enshrine and enforce your prejudice into perpetuity. People can see their individual actions and still deny any systemic or institutional need for overhaul. But Jesus, when he looked at this world, when he entered this world in the form of a human being, Jesus put a premium on love. And we know that Christ said to love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you that you may be children of your father in heaven. People often use this and weaponize it against Black people, against oppressed peoples, against people who are suffering through and living under tyranny and injustice and apartheid. They often weaponize it and say, well, shouldn't you be showing love in the face of all of these different things? Well, we know that love is soul power. Love is nonviolent resistance. That's what love is. But guess what fathers do to those who harm their children? Have you ever seen a father rise up to defend his children? There's nothing passive about that. So when Christ tells us to love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be children of your father in heaven, There's nothing passive about the father in heaven who is going to judge your enemies. Jesus did not say these enemies would not be judged or that they would receive no punishment. So oftentimes we see love as a weak place or we see love as simply standing down. But love is the place where God moves in to respond with justice. Jesus the Christ wants us to be in right standing with God because when God does the judging, everything unrighteous will be judged. Everything that stands in the way of love will be judged. So God is not only in the business of freeing us from from the slavery of sin and death, as is so often preached, but also from the slavery and the tyranny that humans want to place each other under. Mm. It is a both and with God. It's not one or the other. It's not you're going to be free in the by and by, but you must deal with the shackles and the chains of the now. In the Old Testament, which people often run by, in the Old Testament, in Leviticus 19 and 15, there is a call there to not pervert justice. God is concerned about impartiality in justice. He is concerned about justice without prejudice. And as a nation, we cannot boast of blessing if we withhold justice. Let me say it again. As a nation, we cannot and should not go around saying that we are blessed when we withhold justice. Here's another one. From the Old Testament. Deuteronomy 27 and 19. You know what is cursed? It says cursed is anyone who withholds justice. From the foreigner. The fatherless. Or the widow. How many children have been made fatherless? George Floyd's daughter. Tyree Nichols' child, Eric Garner's daughter. Those are just a few. How many women have been made a widow? 1619 to the present through unjust actions. The red summer of 1919, where black men, especially businessmen and landowners, were taken from their families and never seen again, or were found as strange fruit the next day. Psalm 33 verse 5 says, The Lord loves justice, and the earth is full of his unfailing love. I asked the Holy Spirit a question. I said, you said the the earth is full of his unfailing love, Where do we see God's unfailing love? And the spirit said in the faces of millions of the descendants of the slave trade, you see God's unfailing love. It is because of his unfailing love and his mercy that they have not been consumed, that they have not set the nation on fire. We tend to think of justice only as wrongdoing, but justice is also about seeing that people receive their due, good or bad. The Hebrew word for justice is mishpat, and in that word, it is a connotation of receiving what is due to you, whether it's good or whether it is bad, and we know that America is due, and Black Americans are due, or rather, past due. So justice, depending on what side you're on, when justice occurs, you're going to receive your due, both either good or bad. God defends the weak and the fatherless, and he upholds the poor and the oppressed. According to Psalm 82, verses 3 and 4, and Psalm 140, verse 12. So I want you to think about that. I'm going to say it again. God defends the weak and the fatherless, and he upholds the poor and the oppressed. So if you find yourself mocking the weak, scorning the fatherless, scoffing at the poor, and stepping on the oppressed, chances are you and God are not on the same team. And I, I shouldn't have to say it this way, right? But clearly, some of us, are deceived into thinking that we're on the same side as God. God secures justice for the poor. And when God does it, there is no one who can come behind his performance of justice. Being partial to the wicked and depriving the innocent of justice. Like not charging officers who unalive unarmed and innocent citizens is not something that God is winking at. God does not want our nation's religious sacrifices or calls for prayer while openly defying all that is just, doing harm to the weak, doing harm to the poor, doing harm to the widow, doing harm to the fatherless. We must continue to seek justice. We must continue to defend the oppressed, to take up the cause of the widow and the fatherless and to plead the case of the widow. God addresses false piety and he is not fooled. He is not fooled. He is not fooled by our antics. When we take part in religious practices or rituals, But we don't care about the things or the people that's close to his heart. God wants me to tell you today, he is not fooled. Isaiah 58 verses 6 through 8 paints a picture of what God wants out of people who say they are in relationship with him. Out of people who say, I want to consecrate. I want to give myself to prayer. I want to give myself to a spiritual discipline or practice. It says, what kind of fast does God choose? One that looses the chains of injustice, that unties the cords of yokes to set the oppressed, free, one that causes you to share with, not hoard from the hungry, one that causes you to care about things like food insecurity, housing insecurity, to care about unhoused humans, to care about those who lack the basic necessities like clean water, Jackson, and Flint clean air ohio to not turn away your family now somebody says well what if my family is toxic it's not saying you have to tolerate toxicity cuz that's not that needs addressing but to be in denial about your family your human family he says this is the kind of fast that I'm choosing one that's going to loose the chains of injustice, that's going to cause the oppressed to go free, that's going to address hunger, that's going to address homelessness. God says if you do these things, if you do away with yokes and not tighten and reinforce them, if you satisfy the needs of the oppressed, rather than cut the funding for the oppressed. Mm. If you do what is just and what is right beyond speeches, then you will see a nation that is healed. Because a healed nation is a nation that does these things. You will see a nation that will become a light to the world, truly be a light to the world, and not a byword to the world. So let us let justice roll on like a river and righteousness like a stream. When religious pageantry is married to political subterfuge and denial of justice, it becomes a stench in the nostrils of God.
1: again.
0: I'll say it one more time. When religious pageantry is married to political subterfuge and denial of justice, it becomes a stench in the nostrils of God. Micah 6 6 through 8, people often jump to the end of that, this passage, and we say, hey, here's what God requires do justly or act justly love mercy walk humbly with god but let's go micah 6 and 6 before all of that the writer here is talking about what can i what can i give to god can i give him rams can i give him olive oil can i even give him my firstborn <laughs> But then the prophet comes back and he says, he has shown you, O mortal, what is good. He said, you're trying to draw near to God with greater and greater stuff. You're trying to draw near to God with greater sacrifices of stuff. But God has already shown you what to do. You want to ignore what God is telling you to do and you want to put sacrifices out there, but God has shown you what to do. He said, act justly, love mercy, and walk humbly with God. Stop plotting evil. The policies that plot evil against black life, black history, Stop plotting evil
1: yeah, Yes.
0: because God will judge it. And as I was preparing for this message, I'm going to share really quickly what I saw in an open vision. As I began to listen to what the spirit was saying, I saw an open vision of the writers of these policies. And I heard the voice of the Lord say, keep writing these heinous bills keep challenging my justice keep plotting evil and i will judge it introducing these things to congress i will judge it stop plotting evil against human lives Mm. and in that open vision i saw people writing they were writing these bills and they were writing these policies and in the middle of them writing these policies they dropped dead they did not even finish writing the policy out because they were judged right then now most of you who know me know that I don't give prophetic words of judgment so this is a warning I don't I don't say these things to be sensational. This is a warning. Stop plotting evil against black life. He said, God, Holy Spirit said, God is coming to judge everything outside of love and justice. So if you are not flowing in love, if you're not if you're not doing justly and loving mercy and walking humbly with God, he's coming to judge it. And as I'm getting ready to close, he said, "Let me correct one more thing. <laughs> Let me correct people's mind about humility and what it means to walk humbly with God. And I said, "Okay, Spirit, say on." He said, "Many times people see humility as a shameful thing. They see it as lowering themselves to be walked on or to be stepped on. But he said, when when the when God says, "Walk humbly with him," he's not talking about shaming yourself. He's not talking about humiliating yourself. He's not even talking about your birth or your rank as the definition of humble is often interpreted as being low of birth or low of rank. He said, I'm talking about the wealth that is within you. And he took me to the scripture that talks about how um, it is more difficult for a wealthy uh, man in his ability to get through the kingdom of heaven than it is for a camel to get through the eye of the needle. And I say, okay, God, what are you saying here? And he said, look at what the eye of the needle actually is. The eye of the needle, I'm going to show you an image of them. The eye of the needle was a narrow gateway into Jerusalem. This was an idiom that was understood during Jesus' time. Camels were heavily loaded and they would need to be unloaded to get past or to pass through this narrow opening. He said, so it's not about you not being wealthy. It's not about that. He said, it's about you unencumbering yourself from being tied to what you own. Hmm. To humble yourself means to divest yourself of your attachment to materialism. Not that you don't have materials. It's to attach yourself from the idolatry of your materialism to really receive the kingdom Hmm. of heaven.
1: Wow, wow,
0: wow. Jesus came into the earth as a man who was not of high rank. He was not born as King Herod's son. He was the son of a carpenter. So let me show you this. I want to, I want to show you this. So we all have. We all get an understanding today. This is. This is the eye of a needle. <laughs> Okay? It's a narrow opening. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: It's a narrow opening. I'm going somewhere.
1: Mm
0: -hmm. Let me give you one more. This is showing you that when he said it's easier for a camel to get through the eye of a needle than it is for a rich man to attain heaven, he's talking about how the camel had to be unencumbered in order to fit through the opening. Mm -hmm. One more.
1: Mm.
0: Okay, this is the passage way. This is the eye of the needle. Mm. Doesn't mean you couldn't get through. Doesn't mean it wasn't attainable. It meant you had to take the load off. Or as we say, lay aside every weight and sin. Cast off what is encumbering you from receiving the kingdom of heaven. And then the Lord said to me, Black Americans have the most experience. The indigenous have the most experience with humbleness. Because it was forced upon them. Perpetual servitude. Underclass treatment. Dehumanization. Second class citizenship. Black people know how to get low. but he said the one who humbles himself will be exalted. Materials will become a magnet when materialism is not your God. Movements for liberation, economics is a form of freedom. But even in all of our economic freedom, don't let materialism become your God. When you become a conduit, not a hoarder, your life will open up. What is the kind of fast that God requires? God requires a consecration of people who are not encumbered Who are not worshiping their materialism. Who are not saying, oh, we can't give repair to black people. Because my materials matter too much to me. Lastly, just to drive the point home. It was a rich man who gave up his tomb to place the Savior in it. It was a rich man who was granted the body of Christ by Pilate. You see, if Joseph of Arimathea had not been wealthy, had not had the authority, he would not have been able to even receive Christ's body. He, not, he would not have had a place for Christ to be placed In today's terminology, we would say Joseph of Arimathea at least had a life insurance policy. So this idea that liberated people have to have nothing in order to truly be liberated is not the issue here. Even in Christ's death and resurrection, there was a place even for the wealthy to be a part of the plan. Everyone has a purpose and a part to play in liberation. Whether you are oppressed, suppressed, whether you are privileged, everybody has a purpose and a place In liberation. One more time. Everybody has a purpose and a place in liberation. I want to read to you, in my closing, some of the encounters, some of the accounts of the enslaved. These were people in the 1930s. The Works Progress Administration came in and they interviewed those who were born in enslavement, who had lived through enslavement, through the time of being free initially, and they took down their witness in their testimonies. This is John M. Fields. He said, when I was six years old, all of us children were taken from my parents because my master died and his estate had to be settled. We slaves were divided by this method. Three disinterested persons were chosen to come to the plantation, and together they wrote the names of the different heirs on a few slips of paper. These slips were put in a hat and passed among us slaves. Each one took a slip, and the name on the slip was the new owner. I happened to draw the name of a relative of my master, who was a widow. I can't describe the heartbreak and horror of that separation. I was only six years old, and it was the last time I ever saw my mother for longer than one night. This is John Fields, formerly enslaved. To Sean Young, Yes, sir, they whooped powerful hard sometimes. My mammy gets whooped one time cause she come for the field for the nurse, her baby, and once cause she don't keep her row in the field. This is to Sean Young. The owners didn't want the slaves to learn to read because they were afraid they would get too smart. This is Elijah Cox. There is plenty of us in Louisiana that is still slaves to this day in the 1930s. A spell back, I made a trip to where I was raised to see my old Missy, for she died. And there were us in 12 or 14 miles of that place that didn't yet know they were free. There's plenty round here, what is the same as slaves and has worked for white folks 20 and 25 years and hadn't drawn a 5 cent piece. Just old clothes and something to eat. That's the way we was in slavery. This is Willis Wynn. Holding the bullhorn. That would call him to go work in the fields every morning. Finally. This is a Confederate monument in front of the state capitol in Montgomery, Alabama in 1943. On this monument reads the words, consecrated. Mm -hmm. We must ask ourselves, consecrated to who? And consecrated to what? The call today, where do we go from here We continue to do justly, to love mercy and to walk humbly with our God, using our resources for the continued liberation of others. If you are doing these three, you are a part of liberating the world, one soul and one day at a time. Apostle.
1: Today is Dress Down Day. Thank you all for being here. Um, The word of the Lord. Oh, my, my, my. Um, Wow. The thing that really profoundly was expressed by Prophet Shantae, where do we go from here, liberated people, is the one thing that we have to really be specific about, she was saying that We do not need false worship movements that ignore justice, that ignore mercy, that ignore kindness. You can't sit there and being isolated, literally, when you think about it, Why would you have a Passover if people are still enslaved in Egypt? Lydia, if Egyptians decided to do a Passover, while they still had the children of Israel enslaved, is the equivalent of current-day acts of worship using false movements based on religious acts of the past and totally ignoring the bondages that God is so against. The weak, the poor, the fatherless, the widow. You cannot promote an institution that expands these vices, you cannot be a part of an institution that expands weakness, that expands oppression, that expands fatherlessness, that expands widowship, and say that this is the glory or the power of God at work. That is not the power of God. That's the power of the God of this world, which is not the Heavenly Father the great deceiver. Do not be deceived. Understand as I think she made a statement about, we don't need bigots and guitars. We don't need to be serenaded into a place of submission to the very thing that caused enslavement in the western world. Christ so that we can be free so that we can be liberated so religious ritual is not liberation if it's not operating in Micah 6 6 through 8 if you are not concerned about the stuff the big cathedrals the big box uh, places of worship The music, the guitars, the big assemblies, that stuff. And you can't be unkind. You cannot be in these places, saying you're in the move of God, and you walk out of that spot and totally ignore the very people the Good Samaritan picked up. It was the priests. That ignored the bleeding one and the damaged and hurt one. Literally, that's a spirit that has come upon this nation, that has been upon religious ritual in this nation where we want to say we with God while we yet cause oppression. We're not going there. That is not the direction that we're going to be going. And as Prophet Shante said last night, if you didn't hear or see, please look up the NAACP Image Awards and the message that was proclaimed by Attorney Ben Crump, who won the Social Justice Award. We cannot ignore the history of our forefathers who helped us to overcome oppression. It's not a footnote in history. This is heroes of history. The last thing I want to share is that that eye of the needle. I thank God for Prophet Shante bringing clarity of that passage. People think the eye of the needle was our modern adventure. We have like a one-sixteenth of an inch diameter hole or less on a pin. That is not what that was talked about. It was about the ability to go through the tight-fitting opening entrance. Because God said doors are open. Jesus is the door. But straight is the way and narrow is the gate. That's what the eye of the needle is about. Narrow and straight. You have to literally pull off everything that you have so that you can squeeze right through that opening. And get into a place of blessing and promise and resource. So are we going to give up our idioms of consumerism and chateauism, which is what consumerism is? Or are we going to get fat off the world and not able to move into the door that God has for us? So we thank God for this word. Let me just uh, close in a short prayer. Hallelujah. We thank you, Father, for your word. We thank you, Lord, for where do we go from here? Lord, help us not to be deceived into placing our confidence in that which is false, into that which is evil, into that which is of no effect and of no value to your eternal purpose. Dear God, we thank you, Lord, that you said in the Word, in Second Peter chapter 2, verse 2 says, But in those days false prophets arise among the people, just as there will be false teachers among you who will subtly introduce destructive heresies, even denying the master who brought them, bringing swift destruction to themselves. Many will follow their shameful ways. And because of them, in the way of truth, will be maligned. And their greed, they will exploit you in false arguments and twisted doctrine. With their false arguments and twisted doctrine. Their sentence of condemnation, which God has decreed from time long ago, is not idle but still in force. And their destruction and deepening misery is not asleep but is on its way. Heavenly Father, we thank you, God, even the angels who had sinned. You do not spare them, God. Even those who are producing these false movements, converting through subversion and destructive heresies about what is of God and ignoring the things that are truly of God, which is justice, righteousness, mercy, kindness, love. Not the love inside a big box where you say it and you love somebody right next door, but that love when you're out there on the street. That love, when you see that person who's not of your of uh, ethnic affiliation, where's that love and that kindness? you well, are in the street rather than the perversion of justice and the paranoia that you kind of bring forth by calling on justice systems to destroy innocent people. That is not of God, and if you're a part of that, you are not of God. So, God, we thank you, Lord God, for bringing us to a place. Where do we go? Help us go to a place of loving justice. Help us to go to a place of loving one another with fullness and equity, equitably. And Father, help us to operate in kindness, not in destruction of one another, in Jesus' name. We pray and we give you honor and we give you glory for those who may not know the true loving Christ not represented by the Western world. Not what the Western world is trying to show this person who wants to give us all his material things and help us to be the greatest on the planet physically and naturally. Not that person, but the Christ, Yeshua HaMashiach, the one who will save your soul and your body From hell and from hell on earth. Join him. Confess him as your Lord and Savior. And you will be saved. We thank you Lord for this salvation. We thank you Lord for the opportunity to be free. And to proclaim. And to march into the place of freedom that you have designed for us in Jesus name. we Thank you. So in this point. uh, Thank you for blessing us in this last. The last Sunday we have in. Black History Month, February. Black History runs all year long. As long as there's black people, there's black history. Praise God. Not in the 28-day sequence. But anyway, you, if you want to give and support Life Nation and the work we do to bring uh, reconciliation amongst ethnicities on this earth under Christ, you can look at us on our page at Life Nation. We have the Cash App. We have the PayPal. We have the Square. We have the mailing address. So you can provide any one of those means. And we thank you <clears throat> for your time and your attention today and listening to what God has given us to share. Amen. God bless you.